4: Today is Tuesday, October 1st, 2019. Coming up on Roland Martin, unfiltered Amber Geiger guilty of murdering Botham John. We will go live to Dallas to talk about that. And, of course, the jury also is determining what her sentence is going to be. The Baltimore Suns editorial board steps up with their support for the HBCU coalition fighting against the state of Maryland and Governor Larry Hogan. They call his $200 million offer insulting. We will talk with the co-sponsor of the California bill that now allows for NCAA players to make money off of their likeness. A new poll shows that black voters say that Donald Trump has made things worse for them. Another poll has Donald Trump at 2% support among African Americans. We're looking for every single one of them. And voter the registration surges in Georgia here, the 2020 election. We'll break it down for you. A new poll out of South Carolina has Joe Biden with a commanding lead. Uh, that state, Senator Kamala Harris way back. We don't tell you who's in second and third place and black folks, especially older voters, say it's all about Joe. It's time to bring the funk on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it.
0: Whatever it is, he's got the school-
4: Folks, guilty. That was a decision of a Dallas, Texas jury saying that Amber Geiger murdered Botham John. Of course, she, of course, is the former Dallas police officer who walked into his apartment, shot and killed him. She said, of course, that she thought it was her apartment. uh, The jury, of course, gathered, deliberated for less than 24 hours. The verdict followed a trial that, again, has captured the national attention and sparked outrage. Here's the video when the judge made the decision.
5: Uh, the jury having reached a verdict, uh, Ms. Geiger and your team, would you please stand? We, the jury, unanimously find the defendant, Amber Geiger, guilty of murder as charged in the indictment.
4: No outbursts uh again uh, you you heard that decision there many folks of course uh were shocked uh, to hear of uh, a Dallas cop being found guilty but this is the second time in 2 years where, where a Dallas area police officer has been found guilty of murder now what also surprised people yesterday when the judge allowed the jury to consider the castle doctrine meaning a person can defend themselves uh when they are faced uh with danger in their place of residence but it wasn't hers. Some legal uh, scholars say the reason the judge did that is to ensure that uh, her case could not be granted on appeal. Joining us right now is attorney Robert Petillo. Uh, Robert, glad to have you on the show. Uh, are you surprised by this jury's decision? Actually,
3: I wasn't surprised by the jury's decision. What was surprising to me was the tactic of the defense attorney. Uh, most attorneys I've spoken to and myself <clears throat> included would have tried to settle this case, would have taken a plea bargain uh, and not try to present what the what comes out to a basically silly defense that no jury was going to buy. You saw that just by the, the quickness of the deliberation and the fact it was a unanimous decision, they uh, didn't continuously ask for additional time. This was a very simple decision for the jury. Uh, so I, I think it'll be interesting in the coming weeks or months to find out what exactly the plea offer was, was on the table and why the uh, defense didn't take that offer.
4: Well, I don't. Uh, normally when they plea us offer we might hear a leak. We might hear it come out. Uh, We actually didn't hear that. Uh, I'm not even sure even one is pursued, but you're absolutely right. Uh, In terms of some people were very surprised by that. But you know what? I think what you had here, though, is you had, uh, again, some people who believe that, look, a cop stands a better chance of getting found not guilty. They roll the dice.
3: Uh, absolutely, and I, I think this goes a long way in tearing down that presumption, tearing down uh, that wall which exists between the officers and their belief of their impunity in the criminal justice system. Uh, just on its face, the uh, explanation given did not match the facts. The uh, the justification which she gave was ridiculous from the beginning. All And every juror and every person listening knows that you know when you walk into your house or somebody else's house, and you know the difference between somebody eating ice cream and somebody trying to attack you. Uh, if it's because of uh, these overwhelming facts, I think the jury had no choice but to convict her. Uh, I think it is interesting that they did go for the full murder conviction as opposed to the lesser included offense of uh, manslaughter. I think that was a great sign because of everything she stated and everything she did did indicate that it was not accidental, it was not a case of mistaken identity. She did indeed intend to kill this individual.
4: Some believe that the DA in this case overcharged that the judge um, uh, could have actually, they should have gone for negligent homicide, but clearly the jury went along with murder.
3: Well, the testimony of Miss Geiger herself takes the idea of negligent homicide out of the out of the door. The reason that the DA did not overcharge is that that is a jury question. You, the jury always has the ability to include a lesser included uh, offense in their determination. They chose to follow murder. When Ms. Geiger was questioned and asked, did you intend to kill this individual when you pulled the trigger? Her answer was yes. That takes negligence out of the out of the window. It was not an accident. Uh, we do not know what her motivation were, was for killing uh, this individual, but we do know that she did in, indeed intend to kill them. Uh, for this reason, uh, again, this goes back to my question, of why they did not take a plea deal because the
4: facts were so squarely in favor of a conviction? Well, I think you're absolutely right in terms of the prosecutors were very good at, a- at asking very specific questions that led to those answers, to your point, that took away uh, that particular uh, issue there. Uh, and so I thought that was a pretty interesting. In the moment, we're gonna be joined by Ben Crump and Lee Merritt. Uh, two of the attorneys for the uh, Botham John family. They'll be joining us in just a moment, so for folks, let me know when they're there. I'm going to bring in our panel, of course. Uh, we have, uh, of course, we have uh, Kelly Bethel, Communication Strategist, Dr. Jason Nichols, African American Studies, University of Maryland, Erica Savage-Wilson, host Savage Politics Podcast. Uh, let me go back to go to Dallas, Lee Merritt and Ben Crump. Um, ben, I'll start with you. Uh, I saw that photo, the photo of Botham John's mother, uh, which said it all. Uh, when uh, that, when the jury made that decision. That right there uh, is a powerful, powerful photo. Uh, justice for this family.
5: I think it was historic, Roland, as Attorney Merritt and I have been discussing since we heard the announcement how historic this is for America. And it, it's sad that Brokham Joan had to be a near perfect person to have a police officer in America convicted of first-degree murder. And our hope is that it won't take a near-perfect person of color for police to be held accountable for an unjustifiable killing. So this is historic in many ways, and we remember Trayvon, we remember Sandra Bland, Michael Brown, we remember Terrence Pritcher, and so many others. And we are just thankful for this family getting their measure of justice and hopefully
4: it will be a precedence now uh first of all the person who's holding your camera if they can actually turn your camera horizontal i would appreciate that so we can fully see both of you uh lee i'll go to you um again that was a black republican district attorney when this case actually happened i was there in dallas when they had that very emotional uh, town hall meeting at a church there and i remember Uh, they were trying to counsel people on charges. People were demanding murder charges. Uh, They went through with indicting uh, Amber Geiger on murder. Uh, And uh, are you surprised with the jury's decision, especially with the type of questions they were asking, what they want to consider?
2: I I wasn't surprised. There has been a, a push all around the country to take officers who've committed things like murder charged them with, with something lesser, like manslaughter or second-degree murder or criminal negligence homicide. Amber Geiger's actions in this case constitute murder. She testified from the stand, I intended to kill Boatham Jean, Now she said, because he posed a threat to me. Now, this is an unarmed black man eating ice cream in his home wearing white shorts with no pockets. Uh, and, and so the only thing that she could have feared to the point of death would be the color of her skin, that she was facing a black man. We see this all over the country. We've seen it in case after case after case. And because we're, we're our community is so exhausted with not getting justice, we started to ask that they move the goalpost a bit and ask for something less than justice like manslaughter. I'm I'm, I'm glad that, that that charge went back to the jury, but this jury got it right and they came back with the charge for murder. We know that the, the, the Rangers in this case wanted manslaughter. We know that the, that the, uh, some of the Dallas Police Department officers who first investigated in the case wanted no charge at all, and so it was really important that we had a District Attorney who was fighting for the proper charges, and uh, the, the District Attorney's office, and the amazing prosecutor, and uh, uh, and, and Jason, um, uh, and Jason who, who who took it all the way home.
4: Obviously, the, um, obviously um, it is still hard for the Botham John, John family because um, he is dead. But um, how have they been feeling? How have they been reacting uh, to uh, this decision? Obviously, they're now waiting for the sentencing, uh, and we'll see what happens there. But certainly, uh, just, just, just how have they been feeling with this guilty, react, this, this guilty verdict?
5: Roland, we're actually here with them now. They are an outstanding family. If uh, you had the pleasure to hear his mother testify in the sentencing phase, and I know that sounds awkward, but to hear her talk about what a beautiful, positive, motivating person Botham John was, but it wasn't just Botham, the whole family was just incredible individuals. And it was so profound to see this dignified black family turned out every stereotype that white America has of black people when they try to justify the, these unjustifiable killings. As Attorney Merritt and Attorney Washington have dealt with far too many times, Roland
2: Martin.
4: Uh, in, in, in boy, of,
2: Lee. What Bolcom, John's what sister, Lisa, told me at the start of this process, at the start of this trial, was that her family hasn't had an opportunity to grieve yet. Because they've been fighting for justice since this time last year. And so what this this sentence, this conviction represents for them is the first time that they get to excel, that they get that weight lifted, that they can start the process of remembering Botham's job for the amazing brother, son, uh, role model that he was.
4: And of course, to the folks who are watching, this is, this is the body cam footage uh, that was shown during this trial when the officers entered uh, Botham's apartment trying to uh resuscitate him revive him you see the officer there putting on gloves there they were talking to him if you can pull the audio up they were trying to tell him to hold on uh but based upon the testimony in this trial the way she fired the shot uh it was a fatal shot the moment uh she actually uh fired that gun um uh i would go back to you ben crump um uh, she obviously testified uh, you had the defense of the prosecution, but this judge from the outset was very firm and clear how she ruled her courtroom. She was angry with the Dallas District Attorney John Cruzo for giving that interview the night before the trial started. Uh, just your assessment of how she managed and conducted all of this uh, this trial that got national attention.
5: You, you know, Roland Martin, it was a very riveting day to see two uh, black female prosecutors and this black uh, female judge presiding over arguably the most watched court in america today uh and i'm sure there were many people who are enemies to equality who were just tossing the turn and saying you know these competent black people are administering justice what i will say is i think the judge tried her best to balance uh, and be impartial, we were all dumbfounded when she let Amber Geiger have the benefit and consideration of the council doctrine when it wasn't her counsel. That still has a scratch in our head. But I think overall, she did a, a good job of administering justice, one that we don't often see in other parts of America
4: uh lee lee Merritt, i'm trying to find the video uh but that was a there was a certain point uh and you don't see this often when after this verdict came in and the prosecutors walked out in the hallway they were actually greeted with applause from folks who were gathered there to wait for this verdict
2: yeah it, it was it was a it was a beautiful thing to see uh how this community received this verdict. Uh, a really important thing is that this verdict was not only a verdict for this team or a verdict for this family, uh, but this verdict represented the, the combination of, uh, of activists, people working for justice uh, across Dallas County. this uh, It was Dallas County uh, uh, voters who brought in progressive judges like Tammy Kent who called this case as fairly as possible. It was Dallas County jurors that motivated the district attorney's office that made this a central point in that district attorney race. And most importantly, it was Dallas County voters and citizens who responded in record numbers to the call to jury duty. And so we saw one of the most diverse juries that we've ever seen as attorneys yeah. uh, uh, preside over this case.
4: And last question for you, Ben Crump. What this speaks to when you speak of that diverse jury, this is what happens when Black people register, when Black people accept the jury summons. Because Ben, we talk, we, you and I have been on pounds all across the country. And this is also part of the problem, when people don't choose to serve on juries.
5: And Roland, you're right, we have been across the country talking about this issue. One of the hardest things for a black lawyer to do is to show up in court with his black client, and the only other thing black in the courtroom is the judge's role. So we are elated that we had a diverse jury. We have your fraternity brother, Attorney Daryl Washington, the third uh, lawyer on the team joining us, Omegas, to talk about Dallas County having a precedence for getting it right uh, and convicting police officers who kill unarmed black people. They did it in Jordan, Edwards. Now they have done it in Bolton, John. I hope the rest of the cities across America are watching Dallas, Texas today.
4: All right, Ben Crump, Lee Barrett. I'm sure that the Alpha Law, teaching y'all a couple of things. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thank you, Roland. God bless you. All uh, right, thanks a lot. Uh, I want to go to our panel here. Jason, your thoughts on this verdict? Um, to me, it was shocking.
6: I'm, I'm not going to even lie or front or anything. It was uh, absolutely shocking. There's something that, you know, friends of mine have always said, and that is that uh, a white girl can pretty much cry her way out of anything. And so I thought that when she, when I saw the images of her crying on the stand and saying that she feared for her life, that was gonna work. Um, And, you know, law be damned, to be honest with you. Uh, We've seen it several times before. Uh, But, you know, to me it was interesting that the judge allowed uh, the Castle Doctrine to be used. Uh, Number one, because to me that would justify if Botham John was in fact attacking her that would justify it to me that he was attacking her in his own home. You know, if you are coming in my home and you have a gun and you are trying to order me around, then I have every right to try and attack
4: you. But Kelly, I think what was interesting here, and I've heard other lawyers talk about it, is that by allowing it, she allowed the jury to consider Amber Geiger's thought uh, frame of mind, that this was my apartment. The jury considered it, rejected it
7: right um, I think that like like attorney uh, Patillo was saying this was more so a tactic so that uh, the defense could not try an appeal saying that you know there was a defense that they didn't use or could use and didn't what have you um, but it also goes to show just how entitled and just how much white privilege this cop thought she had to go into someone else's house and claim that that is her castle. That's what got me. Hmm. Um, that, and when I read it last night, I was just like, so they're, it just felt like they're giving her more rope to hang herself with, as opposed to trying to make it look like he was um, in any way, shape or form wrong in that situation.
4: But Erica, what we had here is we, she got preferential treatment on that day and after. Police, that's what they do with one of their fellow cops. One of the Texas Rangers investigators said he didn't think this was actually African-American. He didn't believe that this was actually murder. Uh, He thought that it was just a tragic mistake. It should should have been a different level of homicide. Uh, But the fact of the matter is, now in two successive years, cops, two cops in Dallas area, convicted of murder, of killing two black people.
1: Right, and Texas is a red state. So I think that we're really signaling a couple of things. One of those things is that You know this what has happened has not turned the tide for justice but it has display it's showing us that it is in fact possible and then the second part that was um highlighted latter which is the importance of people being actively involved in their local voting um actions when you register to vote that opens up a door to be able to serve on jury so i'm really glad and I hope that this will kind of spill over to other um, things that we make cases about, right. about newsrooms needing to be more diverse. So when we see more of a makeup of who we actually are as a country, it produces different outcomes, especially to
4: marginalized folks. Robert Patillo, obviously what is now happening, uh, the jury has to determine sentencing. I doubt very seriously we're going to see a case like what took place in New York where the, where the cop was found guilty uh, of killing uh, someone in the public housing complex but then got probation. I think Amber is gonna get some prison time.
3: Uh, I think there's going to be significant prison time just by the fact that this exact same jury could have come back with a decision on uh, for manslaughter or for negligent homicide or for uh, any other lesser included offense. They chose to convict on murder and not one of the lesser included offenses. And also just to clear up a point on the, the Castle ruling, uh, the primary reason the judge allowed this is that a case can go to the state's court of appeals and it can be uh, be overturned on any procedural issue, mm-hmm. uh, any perceived bias. Bias, and then a new trial can be granted. The judge wanted to ensure that she was covering all of her bases, ensuring that the defense did not have any window to try to climb out of at the last moment. There is a concept of law that the imperfect, uh, uh, the imperfect invoking of self-defense. Let's say you believe that you are on your own property. You're actually on the sidewalk outside of your property when you assert self-defense. The law does make a space for that. The defense counsel wanted to try to draw some sort of corollary between that and being in the wrong apartment. Clearly, it did not work. I don't think the judge was wrong for allowing them to have that uh, to have that instant. It probably uh, made the decision on the murder conviction uh, easier versus uh, helping out Ms. Geiger in any way.
4: All right, folks, going to go to a break. We come back. Uh, a big decision in the federal courts when it comes to affirmative action at Harvard. But who is it really protecting? Black students or white students who get in because of legacy? Next, a Roland Martin unfiltered. You want to check out Roland Martin unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfilthy. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, folks, you heard me talk a lot about marijuanastock.org. Why? Because I want to keep you informed of investment opportunities that make sense. We've all watched the growth of the cannabis industry. A recent report by New Frontier Data estimates the global cannabis market at more than $340 billion. We know that marijuana legalization is sweeping the country state by state. We also know that marijuana has a good cousin, the hemp plant, without a much higher concentration of CBD. That means hemp gives you all the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. Until recently, hemp farming was practically illegal in the U.S. and heavily regulated by the DEA. That all changed with the 2018 Farm Bill, making it legal to grow hemp. Our friends at 420 Real Estate have come in with their business model, which is real simple. They buy land that supports hemp CBD grow operations and lease it to high paying tenants. That's right, they are hemp CBD landlords. And you can get in on the action. But 420 Real Estate is done, is allowed this special offer for the Roland Martin unfiltered family. That is, you can invest a minimum of 200 bucks. Before it was supposed to be 500, but they're allowing you to do it for 200 bucks. You can do for 200 up to $10,000. Again, there's a $340 billion industry that is still growing. And you can participate with as little as $200. To invest, go to MarijuanaStock.org. That's MarijuanaStock.org to get in the game and get in the game now. All right, folks, today in a federal court, uh, a judge decided that Harvard, uh, their allowing affirmative action or race to be used in their admissions policy is constitutional. Let me say that again is constitutional back in 2014 students for fair admissions filed federal lawsuits against harvard and the university of north carolina alleging that both institutions admissions practices were discriminatory but today in massachusetts a district court judge ruled that harvard university's admissions process does not discriminate against asian-american applicants now these asian-american applicants they said that they were being discriminated against because harvard allowed race to be used what also came out in this trial was the use of legacy, which actually benefits white folks. Hmm. Now, U.S. District Judge Allison Burroughs ruled that while Harvard could tweak its admissions process with more training and monitoring, it is very fine. And while a court rejected motions for summary judgment in the case involving UNC's diversity efforts, uh, Robert Patillo, I want to go to you first uh, about this decision. They, the Harvard case, they're likely are going to appeal to the Supreme Court but what I found to be interesting in this, again, you had is Asian-American applicants uh, who are trying to sue Harvard because, frankly, they contend that they want more of their kids in Harvard. They want to take advantage of, again, this uh, number one Ivy League school and try to suggest that somehow the use of race targeting black folks and others. But the real problem for Asian-Americans at Harvard are white folks and legacy.
3: Well, this is this is one of those issues that we, uh, if we could roll back time to when we were making these federal regulations, I think they would have been uh, drafted significantly di- uh, differently. W- let's understand. That the, we are being, we are having an argument about whether or not Asian Americans are being discriminated against when they make a far larger percentage of the population at a school uh, such as Harvard and many other Ivy League universities. In addition to this, we have the information that we have all known previously, which is that universities are allowing the legacies, the children, uh, uh, the children of, of previous Harvard graduates, to get in on easier criteria than the rest uh, than the rest of us. So what we have to do is, when we are addressing diversity and inclusion programs at uh, schools, do not let them. learn. Lump us in with people of color. Do not let, us let them lump us in with the word minority. We have to make sure they explicitly say that they are helping the African-American community. Otherwise, we will see this going forward, that every program is helping legacy students, helping everyone except for black folks get into these schools.
4: Jason, in fact, it's an interesting point. I was in Seattle on Saturday uh, speaking to the Tabor 100, and there's a bill called, well, first of all, they repealed affirmative action by ballot initiative in the state of Washington. They passed it this year. Uh, and the legislature passed it, but then the folks who are against that came back to put it on the ballot, it's called I-1000. And what they're doing is, uh, the people who are opposing it are Chinese nationals. (laughs) And so these Chinese nationals in Seattle, or in the state of Washington, are fighting this because what they're saying is that if this passes, then it's gonna hurt them they're not going to be able uh, to get their kids and others into these universities if affirmative action is allowed, meaning they might have to go back to China. And so what you have is, and again, these folks like War Conley and these uh, these, these these white conservatives, they're actually using Asian Americans to try to take, uh, take down affirmative action.
6: Well, they, they've done this. Uh, several times they used to use white women. Mm-hmm. That, w- that was yeah. the tool. Yep. You know, Gratz versus Bollinger. Or, you know, many of the other cases. Uh, A- Amber, stay Mad Fisher. Uh, is it Amber? Abby. Uh, Abby.
4: I'm sorry. The, Abby uh, Fisher. The, the, yeah, out of Texas.
6: Yeah. Right, out of Texas. So they, they've oftentimes used people who have been marginalized in education in the past, uh, or pe- now people of color, um, and trying to complicate this issue. But it's it's thinly veiled. Number one, Asian Americans make up about 5% of our population. They made up, I believe in 2015, they made up still 20% of the incoming class at Harvard. So they're four times overrepresented. Uh, whereas African Americans are about now about equal, you know, they make up about uh, 13% of the population. They're about 15% of the incoming class at Harvard. So, If anything, this is making these universities more equitable, taking groups that have been uh, disenfranchised and marginalized for a a long time and allowing them opportunities to get a Harvard education. And if you... I would ask anybody who's against this, is it that you think that African Americans are not capable? Uh You know, I want people to... don't, Don't give me the but, but, but. Tell me, is it that you think that African Americans aren't capable? Do you think that the people that you praise, even the conservatives that, you know, uh, that have graduated from Ivy League schools, whether it's uh, uh, Clarence Thomas or whomever, is it that you think that they are not capable uh, of matriculating? Mm-hmm. If you're, if the answer is, I do think that they are capable, then you should not have a problem with them getting more opportunities. It doesn't open, all the, that I always tell students, affirmative action opens a door. That's it. But It doesn't take a test for you. Mm -hmm. I don't give you, I don't give any of my students extra points like, oh yeah, you pulled out your black card, here you go. Here's five extra points on that exam.
4: You have to make it through. Right. Erica, here's what's interesting, um, to Jason's point and Robert's point. Asian-Americans make up uh, one quarter of Harvard's admitted class, but they only count for 6% of US population. And this is what the judge said, even assuming that there is a statistically significant difference between how Asian American and white applicants score on the personal rating, the data does not ac- clearly say what accounts for that difference. In other words, although the statistics perhaps tell what they do, what tell what they do not tell why, and here the why is critically important.
1: Sure. And I think we have to go back to when these acts, these legislative acts were um, actually, Um, enacted and now you think about fair housing we think about um, civil rights um, the Voting Rights Act that definitely has been chunked into all of these different 20th century um, pieces of legislation are now under attack and so I agree with um, what you said Dr. Jason and what Robert said as well I think it's really important to disaggregate for black Americans to look at um, and the question has to be asked too Is it that it is thought that black folks aren't as competent to be able to get into these programs or not and and move it forward from there? Um, And also definitely in um, in agreement with lumping us all into people of color, because what that what that does is it kind of waters down who these people that were at the forefront, ensuring that these pieces of legislation, these acts were in place. So, that there could be some level of equity as we matriculated through education, housing, and things of that but,
4: nature. But, Kelly, I think what we, ha- what we have to do is understand uh, again what the rationale behind that. So, for instance, uh, when you hear about MWBE, Minority and Women in Business Enterprise, mm-hmm. the reality is uh, there was a racist from Virginia, uh, Judge Smith, Congressman Judge Smith, who put women into the Civil Rights Act 1964. Because he thought that was gonna kill it. The Civil Rights Act of 64 initially did not include women, which really means it included white women. Mm-hmm. Because if you were black, it didn't you were under the category. Right. So they put women in there. So the reason women are covered under the Civil Rights Act of 64 is because of that. But what ended up happening was when you talk about affirmative action, other programs. It then became this focus on, oh, women. So even today, when I, I I remember I was in um cover in Chicago when I was working for the Chicago Defender and WVON radio, and they were talking about contracts. And they listed the percentage of contracts that women got and mm-hmm. then it was black, it was Hispanic, it was Asian. And I said, uh, question for you, where do the black women go? Right. They said, Well, under black. I said, well, Where do Hispanic women? Under uh, Hispanic Asian women. I said, so really that W should be WW, mm-hmm. should be white women. Right. And what we have, what we, what I think what we do have to be very clear in like when I'm sp- giving speeches, when I'm talking about affirmative action, I'm talking about black folks. I'm talking about African-Americans. Because t- what I'm talking about, uh, really how the laws came about. And I think what you see here, is why, which, is wh- which is why I challenged uh, President George W. Bush on this very issue on legacy in 2004. White folks love to criticize affirmative action, but they got no problem with legacy, and they because that's that's frankly white affirmative action. That's what it is. No, um, there is a difference.
7: So everybody's been talking about you know equality and making sure that things are equitable in terms of affirmative action. But to me, I think there's a difference between the concept of equality and the concept of justice. So justice is something that no matter what it takes to make sure that everybody's on equal footing, that is what is going to happen in order for uh, people to have justice. So the affirmative action uh, initiative regarding Harvard is a pathway to justice. So it doesn't matter. Um, the Harvard is doing whatever it takes to make sure that there is equitability. There, but equality means to me that it doesn't matter wh- what footing you're on, everybody's getting the same thing. So if white people already have an advantage and you're already and you're giving white people another thing, even though it's the same amount right. amongst black people, amongst Hispanics, amongst Asians, they're still getting a higher advantage. So with affirmative action, the 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 original goal was not what's happening in what I just described, this equality model. It was supposed to be a model for justice, right. meaning that white people already have the advantage. We're trying to get to where they are, as is. But when you do stuff like lump all minorities together and separate women from other uh, demographic right. groups, what happens is, you, like you said, Erica, you dilute the purpose, you dilute the, the original goal. So the fact that the judge in, what was it, Massachusetts District yep. Court? You know, the fact that that happened and she said, you know, everything's just fine, right. you know, it's not, but it's good that nothing changed.
4: Jason, you wanna make yeah, a point? I just, I just wanna please. make a point, I'm gonna go to Robert real quick, then I go to a break.
6: Okay, really quickly, I just, <clears throat> I just wanted to say, we were talking a lot about legacies, but I think one of the big things is children of donors. Is another big way that white same uh, thing. people uh, get ahead. And actually, no, no, it's the same thing. I mean, the rally
4: um, is. I mean, look, J- Jared Kushner Jared got into Kushner, Harvard right. because his daddy gave uh, g- 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 uh, he gave several million dollars. I mean, and that and that's what you see. And so legacy, legacy is tied to it as well. Because again, what I made this point when I questioned George W. Bush, Robert, and that is, my grandfather could not go to those institutions. My parents really couldn't go. Yeah, they admitted black folks. We knew what the game was. So the reality is, if you are a white student and you are using the legacy of your grandfather to get into those schools, you actually have a benefit that I could never have Mm -hmm. because my grandfather couldn't get in. And every time I hear these people, in fact, I remember when Bob Gates was the president of Texas A&M University, and all these people wanted him to get rid of race being included. And I give Bob Gates credit. He said... We getting rid of race and admissions, we're getting rid of legacy. All oh, these white Aggies lost their minds because he said, you can't call that unfair if you don't call legacy unfair. Robert, final comment.
3: Well, I think it's very important that as we go through this campaign season, as these candidates start talking about the idea of reparations, Use this as an example and make sure they call it out by name, that they are providing reparations to African-Americans, the descendants of slaves, not that they are going to provide a tax credit to all marginalized people or some of these other plans. Make them make it plain. Make them put it in writing. we'll
4: (laughs) we'll see what happens. All right. we come back, the co-author of the bill in California allowing athletes to get paid will join us. Stephen Bradford's up next right here in Roller Martin Unfiltered. That's my alpha brother, Gerald Albright, one of the uh, major headliners at the LifeLux Jazz Experience, taking place in Los Cabos November 7th through the 11th. It's going to take place in the Omni Day Club, Los Cabos, Deso on the Sea of Cortez. Uh, it's going to be a great experience, folks, all kind of great food and music. Of course, you're talking about breathtaking golf, spa, health and wellness options, you name it. All of that for the second annual Life Lux Jazz Experience. Now, of course, uh, they're going to have great excursions, including the Spirit of Jazz Gospel Brunch, the Jazz Sunset Cruise. Confirmed guests, comedian-actor Mark Curry, Gerald Albright, Alex Mugniong, Raul Madan, Incognito, Kirk Whalem, Pieces of a Dream, Average White Band, Donna McClurkin, Shalaya, Roy Ayers, Tom Brown, Ronnie Laws, Ernest Quarles, and more. For more information, go to lifeluxjazz.com, L-I-F-E-L-U-X-E-J-A-Z-Z. Com. All right, folks. Uh, yesterday, the governor of California signed into law a new bill that allows for NCAA players to take advantage of their own likeness. It's called the Fair Pay to Play Act. Now, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, of course, uh, has gotten lots of attention for it, but who was the co-sponsor of that bill? My next guest, State Senator Steve Bradford. Uh, Senator Bradford, glad to have you here. Congratulations on the bill passing. First and foremost... <laughs> Um, what was your rationale behind um, co-authoring this bill? What what led to it?
0: Uh, I, I think the history of kind of like understanding uh, college athletics and understanding that the majority of these athletes, uh, regardless on what level they play at, uh, many of them never make professional, and their most prime opportunity for taking advantage of their playing ability is usually in college. And we've seen and heard the the arguments that people like Harriet, which has made for the last 30, 40 years of loving to play in field. So this is really a civil rights issue of the day because we understand 50% of all basketball and football uh, teams are made up of African-Americans, but they make up less than 3%. Uh, the graduating population or the undergraduate population. So this is an opportunity. Uh, fairness is an equality, and it's been batted around for a number of years. And we decided to take it on. My uh, joint author, Nancy Skinner, out of Berkeley, and uh, we're honored that the governor put his signature on.
4: Well, you got folks like Tim Tebow and others, Will Kane on ESPN, all that's going to cause unintended consequences. You know, this is going to just going to turn, this is going to just hurt college athletics. And the reason we love college athletics is because of the amateur status. And it's just so pure. That's all a bunch of BS.
0: Without a doubt. I mean, that's the same thing we said about the Olympics. And we've now allowed... Olympic athletes to monetize their name, likeness, and image for a number of years now. And this is no different. Again, this takes no revenue away from those universities or the NC2A. These universities already are making billions of dollars off of these athletes, and especially coaches. Coaches are some of the highest paid employees in most of these states and many ways in the country. And they are allowed to negotiate uh, sponsorship uh, deals based on their name, likeness, and an endorsement. Uh, Image, I should say, and also do endorsements.
4: Uh, That's to take effect until 2023. How do you think the NCAA is going to respond? Because they're going to have an answer to it. Well,
0: Emirate is already threatening us already, and I'm glad the governor responded in kind and uh, signed the bill, and clearly stating that uh, we're in support of this measure. Uh, you've seen just in the 24 hours since our bill has uh, gone public, uh, five other states have already considered this. As we also know that. Uh, Congressman uh, Cedric Richmond out of uh, Louisiana is uh, joined with uh, Mark Walker out of North Carolina. They've introduced a similar measure in Congress. So it's often said, so goes California, so goes the nation. So the NC2A has been litigious in the past, but as we know about their record, they've lost many of these lawsuits. And yes, they're opposing this, but this threatens NC2A and not one iota, not one measure whatsoever.
4: All right. Senator Steve Bradford, congratulations. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot.
0: Thank you for your interest in this issue, Roland.
4: All right, folks. Thanks a lot, folks. The Baltimore Sun editorial board has stepped up with their support for the HBCU coalition fighting against the state of Maryland and Governor Larry Hogan. A coalition advocating for Maryland's four historically black public universities has had a 13-year-old lawsuit with the state claiming that the state's university system long fosters segregation by allowing well-funded academic programs at traditionally white universities to undermine similar ones at Maryland HBCUs. Of course, this coalition sent a letter to elected officials offering to settle its 13-year-old lawsuit against the state for 577 million bucks. But Governor Larry Hogan last week made a final offer of $200 million over 10 years to sell it. The Baltimore Sun released an op-ed slamming Hogan for his response to the request, saying, quote, Mr. Hogan's no room for negotiation offer comes across as little more than an attempt to get rid of what has become an irritation rather than a solid effort to truly redress the damage. Of the past. Now, if the parties can't reach an agreement, the case's future lies with the federal appeals court. Uh, Jason, uh, Pete Buttigieg, I believe, is the first. I-, I haven't seen these other campaigns, but I- he might be the first one to actually speak on this. Uh, go to my iPad, please. Uh, this was a tweet that uh, Pete for America sent out. HBCUs are responsible for 80% of black judges and 25% of STEM degrees. It's time we gave them the funding that they deserve.
6: Wow, you know, I I think that that was a good move by Pete Buttigieg, who uh, has struggled with African-American audiences for a while. You know, he's he's made some missteps. Um, I I do, you know, I I hear the other panelists, but I I honestly think that he is sincere. He just makes a lot of mistakes. And it's interesting that his campaign to begin was all white, uh, even though he is in a city, he's mayor of a city that's 25 percent black. But... You know, um, I, I think he sincerely does want to change things. He's trying to get in on this issue, um, and it's not you know, its not really, uh, I don't think it's going to work very well.
4: But, but, but he's of piece, though. First of all, forget what his intent is, Kelly. What needs to happen is you need to have these candidates who are speaking on these issues because, look, Democrats control the legislature, all right? Democrats could have done something about this and actually passed a bill. And so the pressure should be on Hogan as well as uh, on Hogan as well as Democrats.
7: Absolutely, I am a proud alum of Bowie State University. We're the first HBCU in the state of Maryland, the oldest. So I have you know invested interest in this case, and I was actually at a couple of the hearings uh, for it when it was actually in the middle of trial. Um, I will say that. The 577 million that was, you know, put on the table as an offer, it's still very low in terms of equity. Like I was describing earlier uh, in this uh, show, um, I believe the original, the original amount was one billion because studies show that was actually the amount that would possibly. N- be needed um, to even remotely put things in balance, and then for his counteroffer to be 200 million, as well o- on not only 200 million, but on top of that, his justification for it was, you know, all the money that has been poured into these HBCUs already. Again, this is the equality bit that I was talking about. Just because you're pouring, pouring this amount of money into schools that are already disenfranchised, that were already underfunded that that doesn't do anything they're breaking even each and every time so uh you're absolutely right democrats should have done this you know years ago when this uh case first came um into light and in, what was it 20, 20 uh, 30, no well
4: what, first th- of all, 13 years ago first of all, it dates back 30 years yeah 30 the years. case of course it was filed 13 years ago uh and they won right one and they've been they've been back and forth the last mm-hmm. four years uh through this whole back and forth with governor hogan and the mayor legislature erica
1: yeah, and i was listening to the interview that you did with kristen clark um on the time journal morning show that's how i first kind of um got the progress on it and what was interesting to me especially about this is that the governor didn't even think it was worth his time exactly. to really engage properly mm-hmm. Um, with the coalition that had brought this together, that he sent back a response through his attorney um, for the $200 million. So a couple of things that says to us, again, talking about voter registration and local elections, you have to be careful to whom you give power to. Mm-hmm. He is a Republican governor and not saying that it is because of his republic that he's a Republican. He doesn't care about HBCUs, but we have got to coalesce in such a way that Um, It's not just a Pete Buttigieg who's not doing well in his hometown. I I don't know if he's still polling above 0% with African Americans Mm -hmm. in South Bend, but it should be incumbent upon those people but for us to put the pressure on them because these are institutions where um, enrollment has gone up since his regime has come in place where not only our kids feel safe, but you have faculty and people who feed their children and families um, at HBCUs. So. And even
7: Joe Biden, he represented <laughs> Delaware for the longest time because that's where he's from. Delaware has an HBCU and we've heard nothing from Biden. Right, right, you know, there are plenty of representatives in Congress, the Senate, even uh, local uh politicians who still have a high national profile. Ha- like, there's over 100 HBCUs in this country and we're only hearing from a candidate who doesn't have an HBCU in his state? That's insulting and troubling. So, you know, step it up, Democrats.
4: Uh, Robert, I'm still trying to understand why I have not seen a mass mobilization in Maryland. Uh, And uh, I would hope that the NAACP and others, uh, other civil rights groups are planning to do this because I think you have to have external pressure. Guys, put the phone number back up on the screen. Uh, We're gonna put the phone number up of the governor uh, to show you, because I want all of you to call. (laughs) All of our folks who are watching this show right now should be calling the number to Governor Larry Hogan, letting them know point blank that you support the full funding of HBCUs. And Robert, public pressure matters.
3: Absolutely. Remember, the public is that third rail When you have two parties that are stagnated. The public is the, uh, are the one group that can get things moving. And this has to be a priority and a primary issue within the state. It's always wonderful to see politicians who show up for the photo op. They like to you know, mm-hmm. cut a ribbon at a community center. They like to hug a baby at a parade. But when it comes to putting where the rubber meets the road, putting their dollars and cents where their mouth is, as, we, as we've said previously, it's been under both Republican and Democratic administration that this has not got it done so we have to hold these people's feet to the fire or else we will be, end up being the ones left holding the bag.
4: All right folks let's go to our next story. Large majorities of black voters think Donald Trump's presidency has made things worse for people like them. The Associated Press NORC Center for Public Affairs Research Survey found that about two-thirds of Americans overall disapprove of how Donald Trump is handling race relations. Four percent of african Americans surveyed said that Trump's actions have been good for African-Americans in general while 81% said he has made things worse. Among white Americans, roughly a third said Trump's actions have been good for black Americans. Hmm, Robert, what do you think about that?
3: Well, well, this is my, my question when we have these polls because I feel like we have them every administration. Things have never been good for black folks in this country. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm trying to understand this land of milk and honey that we're coming from where everything just all of a sudden started getting worse. I think we have to look at America as a whole and understand that no one person, no one politician, no one individual is the cause for the racial sta- uh, the stagnation of racial relations in this country. Well, I think
4: there's a difference between someone saying are things good or better? Right, right. And so, I mean, obviously, we can debate the word good, but the question still becomes, are things better or worse? And so, and that's, I think, also, uh, you know, what one is judging when you talk about Donald Trump.
3: Well, let's understand I can we can probably find this exact same article from 2013 saying that race relations have gotten worse because white supremacists are motivated against having a black president in Barack Obama. We have to attack the system, not the individual, the system that has been discriminatory and racist against black folks for the last 400 years. This one administration will come, it will go. The system will still remain.
1: Erica. to be um, quite honest with you, it's 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 something when you talk about systems and and things getting good or better uh, better, and just thinking about when it is often said that when America has a cold, then Black America has the flu. Mm-hmm. Um, so honestly, uh, looking at that poll, by and large, when you look at the electorate, when you look at how we came out in droves and we vote and we continue to vote, um, that you know Black women are the most consistent voting bloc. It's almost kind of like we told you. Um, so I think that with these numbers, these numbers are pretty consistent with how Black um, Americans um, ebb and flow with different administrations that come into power.
7: But it's not a phenomenon, and I think that's what Patillo was getting at in terms of uh, this article specifically and this poll specifically. You know. Trump hasn't done favors for anybody, really, except himself and those immediately surrounding him who will help him. You know, he's a very self-serving individual. Um, the, the, the racial attacks, as of late, have been, you know, reportedly, uh, reportedly fueled by this presidency and his administration because they feel more emboldened. But that does not mean that the attacks are, you know, something new. I think that's what uh, Robert Patillo was getting at. Yeah.
6: So, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, I would add also, you know, kind of to Patillo's point, I, I agree with Roland that there's difference between good and better. Um, but I, I think when you when you look at the, the facts, you know, with this administration, you know, I, I think there are a lot of conservatives. If Melick were here, he would argue about unemployment numbers. He mm-hmm. would argue uh, about you know uh, workforce participation. He would work. He would argue maybe some minuscule wage uh, increases. Um, and I would argue, of course, go back and say that black home ownership is at its lowest level since right. 1970. So I, I think it, you know, to Patillo's point, I think that it is a mixed bag. Um, there's, you know, a lot of things that he's done symbolically, I think, that have hurt relations between African Americans right. and everyone else. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about the, the, uh, the substantive issues it's been a mixed bag like it's been under other administrations. Right, right.
4: Right. Uh, let's talk about this in Georgia, folks. Pretty interesting here. Uh, a huge surge of folks registering to vote in that state. New voters have registered in droves in Georgia since the last year's midterm. Well, than 352,000 people signed up to vote in the past 11 months. The vast majority of them automatically registering when they obtain a driver's license. According to data from the Secretary of State's office, the surge has boosted Georgia's voter rolls to a record high of nearly $7.4 million. $7.4 million, the growth in voters is causing more, caused more by Georgia's booming population than by people rushing to register ahead of presidential election. Now, registrations at driver's license offices far outpaced voter registration drives indicating that many of the new voters recently moved to Georgia or turned 18 years old. Elections in Georgia next year will feature races for president two U.S. Senators, and every seat in the General Assembly. So, Robert, you're there in Georgia. Is your state (laughs) potentially purple? Georgia has been a purple state Mm -hmm. for 20
3: years. Mm -hmm. The problem that we have had in Georgia is the fact that the Detsy Party still controlled parts of the Democratic Party of Georgia. And for that reason, they were more interested in trying to convince South Georgia uh, farmers and rural rednecks to vote Democrat than registering the hundreds of thousands of unregistered African Americans in the state. And we put our money into registering the unregistered African Americans in many of these quote-unquote red states. Then you turn them purple, if not Blue. You combine that with the influx of new of new, I call them carpetbaggers from the north, because of high taxes and high regulations and job growth in the south. We can turn the entire South purple within two election cycles if we put our money where our mouth is.
4: That again, that's an issue there, uh, Kelly. And I, uh, I mean, I've said it for the longest, and of course, we saw Stacey Abrams say it. Stop trying to sit here, and you're trying to get folks who are never going to vote for you. Register those who are likely to vote for you, but who aren't registered.
7: The fact that we have a voter registration problem in the Bible Belt is, you know, it's it's concerning. And we've had a couple episodes now of, you know, voter suppression issues, election fraud issues, um, all uh, with the with the underlying goal to suppress minorities from voting because of things like this happening in Georgia, making a red state turn purple, not even blue. They're just trying to find balance at this point uh, and an accurate reflection of, of the voting uh, demographic there. So I am happy, you know, that it's turning a little bit purple because it shows that, you know, there, the the tide of power is changing. It's not going to just be this this white hold on a state because they just want the power and they just want, you know, to suppress and oppress. You know, this, to me, shows that there will be some actual, you know, semblance of normalcy this uh, coming election cycle coming out of Georgia.
4: Got to ask you all this question real quick. In South Carolina, a new poll comes out uh, showing huge, huge lead for Joe Biden, 37 percent among voters there. Uh, In second place, go to my iPad, please. In second place, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, she's at 17%, followed by Senator Bernie Sanders at 8%. Kamala Harris, you're Senator Kamala Harris at 7%. uh, The remaining 15 candidates, they all fell under 5%. What's interesting about this is when you look at this poll, Blue Judge at 0% among black folks. Uh, This is what Winthrop Poll Director Scott Huffman noted. African Americans constitute one of the most important demographics. He said black folks are going to make up more than 60% of all Demo- more than 60% of Democratic voters in this uh, primary here. Now, it's interesting, so Bakari Sellers, who's a supporter of uh, Kamala Harris, he tweeted that, uh, he talks about this particular poll, says that, uh, he says that, uh, he says uh, that, uh, that uh, Elizabeth Warren is not gonna do well in South Carolina. Uh, I'm like, Bakari, I don't know. I mean, what you're what you're finding here is Here's what it is. Go to my iPad, please. He said, the Huffman Politics Winthrop poll is the best poll to come out in South Carolina to date for a wide variety of reasons. Pete still paces at 0% among black voters. Warren, contrary to some reporters trying to make it a thing, won't do well with black voters in South Carolina. She will lag, uh, he says, at 10%. Um, I think, in this case here, Erica, I think things are going to change. I do not believe Joe Biden is going to to hold that lead, Mm-mm. and I think what could happen for Elizabeth Warren, if she scores an upset in Iowa or New Hampshire, I think black Voter's is gonna give her a different look by the time that South Carolina primary rolls around.
1: Well, I, and I think also the other thing to kind of capture, and I'm from Albany, Georgia, so just wanna kind of loop that Georgia piece back in, is that we still have, from the 18 to 34 year old group, 26.9% of that, that black women's Roundtable poll that they rolled out a few weeks ago um, on television talked about that group is undecided. So I think that as these different candidates make leaps and bounds, that there is a good portion of people that will kind of turn the tide as we saw in 8 with um, um, Barack Obama. But I think we still have to kind of keep our eye on the ball of those unregistered voters and then that 18 to 34 year old age group that says that it's not enough. What else do you have for me?
4: Kelly, here's what I think is going to be interesting in that and I've heard this privately, a lot of black female activists are not campaigning against Senator Harris. They're not enthralled with her. I have heard many of them very impressed by Senator Elizabeth Warren. I think as the, you go, between, go from now and you start going into January, or February, if all of a sudden you begin to hear prominent black female activists touting Elizabeth Warren, that changes, I believe, what happens in South Carolina.
7: Well, not only that, but with Kamala Harris, I think the the disconnect is the fact that she was a prosecutor in California and there were some things under her um, tenure there that were questionable. Um, we had the young man, what was it, last week or the week before, who, you know, talked about all the great things that she did as a prosecutor, but that's not the main narrative that is being driven home amongst people who are talking about her and her record. So that, that is a problem for Kamala Harris that she has to consider. But, uh, another component, you know, if we're gonna be real about it, is the fact that, you know, one, she's biracial, she has a white husband, uh, black women in the bible belt are not going to necessarily identify
4: she's, with black. she's I, I, don't, I don't think i think what happened here the reason i oh. think she's polling at seven percent in south carolina jason is the fact that criminal justice reform is a huge issue yeah. she was a prosecutor she did not release her criminal justice reform plan until september 9th which was three days before the debate at tsu now, if that is your Achilles heel, you don't wait five months to address it. Right, no, I, I
6: agree 100%. And I think Biden is still gonna win South Carolina, but I don't think he's gonna win by, the, by
4: that kind of margin. Well, he's up 20 points.
6: Yeah, yeah. That's, that, there's no way that holds. But I think he will, you know, limp across the finish line and beat Elizabeth Warren in South Carolina. So the thing... And, go ahead, go ahead. You know, one, one other thing about the Georgia piece, is that I, I truly believe that, um, you know, like Robert was like, they spent too much time with the, uh, the rednecks, rural rednecks, and not with younger people. Uh, my argument is, why can't it be both? And this is the, the thing that uh, I think white progressives in, who sit in the ivory tower in offices right next to mine should be doing is going out to, those, to other white people. In uh, you know, in West Virginia, in Louisiana, the places in Arkansas,
4: the places that Bill Clinton won. But but here's what I think, Robert, are you there? Yep,
3: I'm right. right.
4: Here. Here's what I think Robert is saying, where I will agree with him, mm-hmm. and that is, if it is abundantly clear, you are going to vote for Republicans. Mm-hmm. Now I have a choice to make. Do I expend a significant amount of energy? time and money trying to get you to flip or do I do with advertisers what what, what why do advertisers care take what's the advertising demo 25 to 54 mm-hmm. what do advertisers really care about 1839 why they're persuadable right A 18 to 39 year old i could run this ad it yep. pops it sings yep. shit i'm gonna go try that food buy that item you 55 I ain't changing a damn thing. Because it's also uh, so, more expensive. And so, no. and, so, and so, and so, I think what Robert is saying, I want Robert to bring in here. What he's saying is, if I got a pool of people, two, three, four hundred thousand, when Stacey Abrams started, there were 800,000 unregistered right. black and Latino people in the state. Right. I think her campaign, Robert, they registered what? 250 or 300,000? 200. Yeah, so in that territory. (laughs) So the real deal is if, lead them over there. That's right. If Mm -hmm. I go get them, Mm -hmm. it's cheaper actually and less time consuming to get them registered to vote than trying to convince a die hard 20, 30, 40 year Republican. Robert, I want you to respond to what Uh, Jason said.
3: Look, I have worked in Democratic politics in the state of Georgia for most of my adult life. I've been to all 159 counties in the state. I have knocked on doors from everywhere from Brunswick to Dahlonega. What people have to understand, it is a waste of time, effort, energy, and He's money guy. to go under a Confederate flag and knock on a trailer door <laughs> and try to give an economic message to people about why they should support the uh, the Democratic Party. Just go to the hood. You'll find a third of the people unregistered. Registered uh, so, that's what you got
6: to do. Yeah. So, so I, I, I agree. Like, you, I think there's a misunderstanding that I'm saying don't go to the hood, go to <coughs> you know the trailer park. That's not what I'm saying at all. No. What I'm, I'm saying I'm is saying go is, to the hood, ignore the damn trailer park because look, you, here's I'm, the
4: piece. I, I understand. I'm saying
6: Obama won West Virginia. And you know, and I'm saying that that it is that some of those people are persuadable. Not necessarily, you know, if you see the Confederate flag, don't
4: go to that house. No, no. But there it's, are it's, people it's, it's, in that it's, demographic it's, that it's, are it's, persuadable. It's, it's numbers. It's numbers. And the reality is, if I start... Right now, there are 17 states in America where the average annual white death rate is higher than the average annual white birth rate. Mm-hmm. And so the reality is this here. If I'm studying numbers again, and I'm trying to figure out how do I win, I got a better better shot... Versus trying to convince these white suburban women to go ahead and vote for me and anybody else. I think you also, you have to, we have to stop comparing Obama running in 2008 to Mm -hmm. Trump in 2016. Obama running in 2008, we cannot ignore. You had an economic calamity where a Republican was president. You had a Republican senator in John McCain who was running who offered no real economic plan. So you had Obama over here who made the argument, we didn't create the damn problem. They they were stewards of it. It was on their watch. And so there were people who were like, I am not voting for another damn Republican who screwed this economy up. You fast forward eight years. What did you have eight years? You had eight years of Obama, Obama, America's weak, America's awful, Obama, talk radio, Fox News, Mm -hmm. all of that Mm -hmm. for eight years. Then you got a guy who comes along, presses buttons of white fear, Mm -hmm. legal immigrants. They're the reason why you don't have jobs. They're the reason. And those places that flipped. Added on top of the fact that you had a candidate in Hillary Clinton who the image of her was locked in, embedded in the minds of those voters. There were white people, white men and women. There were black people who you sat them down and said, write down your top 10 issues. I did this in Chicago at a bar. This white dude was perplexed. I said, write down your top 10 issues. Mm -hmm. I said, put a check by Trump or Hillary, on who agrees with you on those issues. Mm. Hillary got seven out of ten of his checks. Mm-hmm. You know what he said? I just can't vote for her. So, 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 so I think we have to look at 2008 right. differently than 2016 because we gotta factor in who was running and who isn't. That's why I believe this time is different because with a Biden or Warren, who's right now one and two, mm-hmm. they offer a different contrast than Trump did, and they aren't saddled with the same baggage, if you will, as a Hillary Clinton was. That's just why I think the a not part. Final comment before I go to my last story.
6: Right, and, I, and I, I agree with everything you said, and the fact that they are different is a reason why they're persuadable. This, this is one of the reasons the arguments for Joe Biden. Joe Biden win the entire Rust Belt. That's his whole argument to be president. I don't think it's his economic plan, it's his health care, it's any of that. It's that I can beat Donald Trump because I can get those disaffected, angry white voters who did not vote for Hillary Clinton. Got it. I'm, I'm definitely not saying don't go to the hood. I'm saying go to the hood. But also, I think that particularly for, for white working class people, they need to go out and go get their brother and sister and their... And their
4: yeah, it's fine. But also, a problem I have is that we, we've, we've made this election all about the white working class. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, and I'm not making that it all about no, 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 no. When I say we, I'm talking about all that you heard on these other networks and the whole focus is all, all, is all about them when the reality is Trump only won by 77,000 votes. If you factor in voter suppression in Wisconsin, if you factor in a 2.4% drop in black turnout, If you factor in, again, the candidate he was running against, that's how he wins by 77,000 votes. I will say, don't waste your time in Ohio. He won about 450,000 votes. Them white, them them working-class folks there, they ain't changing. Put your money in North Carolina, put your money in Florida, put your money in Michigan, put your money in Pennsylvania. Let them have Ohio. You win the other states, you win the election. All right, folks, uh, track and field star Allison Felix uh, is back on the track after she, of course, uh, dealt with uh, serious injuries. She brought home her 12th gold medal at the World Championship, breaking her tie with Usain Bolt for the most gold medals at the World Championships. Felix was part of the winning team, which featured uh, Wilbert London, Courtney Okolo, and Michael Cherry in the first – Michelle Cherry, the first ever – sorry, Michael Cherry, the first ever World 4x400 Mixed Relay on Sunday. So certainly congratulations Uh, to allison uh, phoenix absolutely one of our great greatest greatest uh runners all right folks Uh, let me thank some folks for supporting the show uh doc young contributed to us while we were live on youtube also uh let's see here precious jewel thank you for your support as well uh let me thank uh brown lady 007 for your donation and then let's see kiwi your your donation as well if you're watching on youtube and it's more than 20 almost 2,300 of y'all, you can actually donate to Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on YouTube, or you can go to RollerMarketUnfiltered.com, join our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, you get discounts uh, to products that are on Uh and so you can do so via PayPal, Square, or even uh, Cash App. Our goal, of course, is to get 20,000 of our followers, Donate, on average, 50 bucks for the course of a year, four hours and 19 cents a month, 13 cents a day, because we want to remain independent and free to talk about the issues that we want to talk about that you also care about. So we want you to do that. And so please uh, support what we do uh, right here at Roland Martin Unfiltered. So go to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. On tomorrow's show, uh, Bishop Kenneth Ulmer, I will have my conversation with him uh, from uh, the Bahamas talking about the future of the black church. And how must the church speak to a new generation of parishioners? You don't want to miss that conversation. 1st we're going to close out the show. First of all, let me thank Robert. Let me thank uh, Jason Kelly as well as Erica. What do you call a sweet pea? Uh,
1: really, rolling. Oh
4: what? God. Okay, you wear Okay, you wear a shirt. Thanks for sho- coming out. You wear a Y'all shirt for showing your... <laughs> okay, but you wear a shirt showing your arms and your tattoo can be seen. It's a dress. What? Go oh, ahead and show everybody, everybody your tattoo. Go ahead, go ahead th- th- Go, ahead and show, go ahead and show them your pipes. All right, I'm going to take a picture of it for y'all. <laughs> I'm going to post it. All right, we're going we're gonna, to uh, end the show, folks. Uh, we're going to end the show uh, this way. Uh, of course, we ta- opened the show with both of them, John. Of course, Amber Geiger found guilty for his murder, and he was an amazing young man, uh, and of course, a uh, strong man of the faith. And so, we we'll gonna end the show with this video of both of John behind the pulpit. I'll see you guys tomorrow.
2: Let's all stand. Let the spirit of the Lord rise. And rise. Let the spirit of the Lord.
3: This is Dialla Riddle, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Stay woke.
4: This is Director X, the director of Superfly on the red carpet, or well,
0: the black
2: carpet, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Yeah. Yo, what up, y'all? This is Jay Ellis, and you're watching
0: Roland Martin Unfiltered. Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. I'm
1: Lex Scott Davis, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered.
4: Hey, what's up, y'all? This your boy, Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. E. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roller Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. Hey fam, want to check out Roller Barton Unfiltered, the blackest show on all of digital, cable, and broadcast. check out our audio podcast. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roller Barton Unfiltered. Press play. Oh, mm-hmm.